0: I've been wanting to share on this for quite some time, so I'm glad today we get this opportunity uh, to go over this together. Let's just read this together here. Oftentimes, as couples, it becomes very easy to lose sight of our purpose in marriage. In fact, some of us may not realize that purpose at all. As a couple and family, you are probably God's most complete advertisement for Jesus Christ. You are His picture in living color. I know of few things more powerful than a Christ-like family. It is so rare today to see a husband tenderly loving his wife and speaking highly of her to others. To see a wife who is devoted to her husband and gives gives him her respect and admiration privately and publicly. To see a mother who enjoys motherhood, who respects their parents and are well-mannered and controlled. Families like this are hard to find. It is also very easy to become satisfied with where we are, especially as we compare ourselves with the world. Is there a reason to excel more? I think there is. There is a world out there that God wants to win, and God has left us here to win them. Are we winsome? Let's look at some biblical principles that will help us gain God's perspective for our lives, and will also give us insight in being the most winsome for Christ. You know, God does desire us to win the world that we're in today, and it is easy today um, to look around us and think we're doing a pretty good job, you know, with our families. First thing I'd like to say is, as a family, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you are probably, in my opinion, biblically speaking, the most complete picture that God has of Himself. You've got the husband who is to be like the Savior, the wife who is to be like the church, the bride, the husband who is the picture of sacrifice and and self-denial and love and commitment to his wife, the wife who is to be the picture of the bride of Christ, adoring, admiring, respecting, loving, submitting to her God, her husband, and the children operating in a godly manner that respect and obey their parents, That love their parents. We have a different standard. God has a different standard. You really, I know sometimes it's easy to think, well, I, you know, frankly, Mark, I think I was a lot more effective for the gospel before I got married. I mean, I just had more time this, and I had more time to do that, and I could have done this, and I kind of do that. But personally, I think right now you're in the best position of your life. Obviously, I can say that because of God's sovereignty. But I also believe that biblically, for your life, for your marriages, um, you and I are God's representatives, and and we have such an opportunity. To I mean, well, I know I'm a lot more effective now. I've had more people compliment me on my life now than I ever did when I was single. Boy, the way you interact with your wife, boy, your kids, this and the kids that. Single person just doesn't have that opportunity, but I do have an opportunity to raise sons and daughters of God that reflect His image, that reflect His honor. So, you know, I think marriage is fantastic and I think God has given it to us to be a picture to represent Christ and His bride. Um, So, I think that's very important that you have that conviction anyway for your own marriage and for your own life in order to understand what we're going to talk about today. But as we do understand that, I want you to know it. I find that it's also very easy in, in Christianity They just to become satisfied with where we're at. In fact, um, I run into a lot of Christian families that are you know, they're really proud of their godliness. They're really excited about what they're teaching their kids, but they're about as winsome as a rock. They look like they came out of the dark ages. They act like they came out of the dark ages. If it's the dark ages, it was spiritual. You know? As if to live in the 1950s was spiritual. Or if to live in the 1930s or the 1800s. I mean, we, we've we adopted some things today in Christianity, some mindsets that are improper and they're not in keeping, in keeping with biblical winsomeness and biblical perspectives. So, I, I really want to talk about today. I want to spend some time on this today and I want to take plenty of time today for questions. By the way, we're going to have lots of time today for questions. Okay. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. By the way, if you've not had a chance to read your new daily devotional that has come out, the Great Commission Church is putting out now called Daylights, uh, especially if you don't go back and read the first few days, you'll want to read June 3rd by Rick Whitney. It's all about what I'm going to talk about now. Uh, He beat me to the punch. Otherwise, I think I probably would have written something like that too. But it's really a good little article. And uh, so I just want to kind of capitalize on that this morning share with you some of my thoughts from that this morning in second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 on behalf of Christ then we are ambassadors God as it were making the appeal through us we beg you for Christ's sake be reconciled to God <clears throat> I'd like to read a few verses before that I guess verse 17. <clears throat> Accordingly, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. But all things come from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is, God is making his appeal no longer through Christ. Did you know that? God is no longer making His appeal through Christ. Christ is in heaven. He's not here. God is making His appeal to the world through you. I don't mean you're the Savior. I don't mean any of that. I just mean that He's given you the ministry of reconciliation and God now wants to make His appeal to the world through you, through your lives. The reason I wanted to start with marriage today is I want you to understand the potential that you have in your marriage The potential to influence others is unbelievable. And I really mean when I say I believe there's more potential married to influence people and with a family than at any other stage in your life. There's also a greater war. There's also greater conflict. There's also much more responsibilities. But if you manage them right and you follow these guidelines that we've talked about today and others that you know, you'll you'll be very, very successful in influencing people wherever you go. We were at a wedding this last weekend and, and uh, probably the largest wedding I've ever been to is at least 400 if not 500 people at this wedding and most of them didn't know the Lord. And this young girl had gotten saved and, and we'd known her about a year and she wanted me to marry them and she wanted my wife as the maid of honor and my kids were the flower children. So, you know, how many parents could handle that? You know, what if my kid embarrasses me and we're both up front? What am I going to do if they flub up? You know they probably will flub up. I can't do that. Number one, most parents couldn't have even done what we did. <clears throat> but number two, we had an opportunity to let our light shine that whole weekend. We we'd see we'd laid all the groundwork for years, and so we had an opportunity to let our family shine, our children shine, my wife shine, and uh, and um, we stayed with this girl's parents, and her her mother say, but. Her father and the rest of all her sisters, which are four sisters, are not or three sisters are not, and they're all out of school except one, and they're all younger. She's 23. She has sister 22, 21, and 14, and they all live a pretty wild, loose kind of life. And so we had quite a weekend. Um, her father, when I first got there, was wouldn't even look in the eye. I mean, the guy really had a chip on his on his shoulder. I mean, I don't know what was bothering him. I think it was the thousand dollar wedding dress and and, uh, <clears throat> the, the you know, uh, it, that's how much it cost. Then they called him on the phone and told him they wanted him to pay $140 for alterations. That really got him mad. <laughs> you know, I bought a $300 suit one day for 100 bucks, and I would have to pay for any alterations. So why in the world are they going to charge a guy $140 for alterations on a $1,000 dress? I really felt for him. But it was a rough start for the weekend. And so I was kind of walking lightly, and I didn't say a whole lot, and I didn't try to be happy-go-lucky, you know, or, anything like that but before I knew it this guy he wanted to hear me sing and and then uh, you know he just would comment on my family and he'd talk with my wife and when we left almost in tears uh, he said Mark you just never know how much this weekend's meant in my life he said you'd come all the way down here for our daughter and and marry her and just be with us he said uh, "Well, he, he really the point was he really didn't even know how to express what he felt and um, I had a number of people come up that I knew weren't believers that ask, oh, because I don't know, I believe in, I just be, believe in being a realist and, and I don't care if half the people in the room are divorced, I'm just going to tell them the Bible uh, says to be submissive to your wife or the wife ought to be submissive to her husband and the husband ought to lead his wife and, and if you follow these things, it's just like football game. If you follow the game plan, it works and, and if you don't, it don't. And that's just what I told them and, and I used a myriad of examples and and." uh and, and man, I'll tell you, seriously, people, I had people come up and they just glued to their seat and said, I've never heard anything like that in my life. And that's the best advice I've ever heard anyone give a young couple. I said, did you tape that? I'd like to take that home to my husband. Did you tape that? I'd like to take that home to my wife. <laughs> you know, I'm really serious. I, I'm really serious about that. And an old guy, the old grandpa, walked up to me in the bathroom and he goes, he says, man, he says, "Well, oh, he didn't say man, I say man, but he said, he said, you know, he said, Usually he says I go to these weddings. He says I've been obviously I'm old. He says I've been to many weddings in my life, and he says this is about the first one I've understood. He, says. <laughs> <laughs> he said. He said. He said they usually talk, you know, so far over your head. He says, but but you're just so down to earth. He says, and I understood just what you meant. And he said that's really true. If people would just do that, their marriage would work. And um, he said, yeah, yeah, that's true. And and. um, so you know, I was really excited. Well, anyway, I would never have that opportunity to have the impact, total impact, I did, if I did not have a family, you know. Um, and if I couldn't share from my experience, I just shared from my experience, uh, right to Doug and Kim. And I know this, I know God just really used it an awful lot in uh, people's lives, and and uh, just from their comments and from what we saw. And um, so I just want you to know, your family. Your marriage is incredible. God can use it, uh, tremendous. You know, I had people come up. have people come up to me all the time. Man, you know, they hate kids. I mean, you gotta, you gotta understand this in America today. People hate kids, and, and uh, I'll tell you something. I got from a uh, a meeting I was at a conference I was at the other day. Although I agree with this, this guy put it into words, but I I've thought this myself that we'll never stop abortion in this country until Christians uh, start loving kids and start having kids. Abortion will never stop in this country. And it's really kind of pathetic to see all these Christians out there picketing for kids, for life, and they refuse to have more than one or more than three, you know? I mean, I'm not saying that a person's got to have a large family, but until our mentalities change about children, until we start acting and living like they're really a blessing, we're never going to change the world's mentality. It always starts with the people of God. But you understand, my kids are little arrows, and I just... They just go and they pierce the heart. That's what it means. You never notice how a child, they can just say things that will just ram you. You know, just, they're that no one else could say. If an adult said that, you might smack them. You know, I remember one time we were watching a TV program, James Bond. And I don't watch James Bond anymore, but I I used to love James Bond. If James Bond would get rid of all the sleaze, I'd watch James Bond. But it's about the sleaziest program they ever put on TV. Well, one day, this had been a few years ago, I think Celeste was four, she's seven now, and four and a half, and, we're, and I'm watching James Bond. And she goes, she just gets up and says, Daddy, those women aren't dressed very nice at all. And uh, I don't think this is right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, great. You know, now what am I going to say? You know, you can't say, oh, "Well, honey, it'll be over in a minute." This thing, you know, or uh, or yeah, but this is so exciting, you know. And it, and I thought, you know, he who compromises, he who gives way to the wicked, is like a polluted spring and a trampled well. It's First thing came to my mind. Oh gee, if I compromise now, if I compromise right now, I am going to send a message to my daughter that she'll never forget. So I, I didn't feel this. But I said, "You're right, Celeste. Go turn it off." And it, she turned it off and that was it and I missed my show. You know? But you know, kids can do that. You know, or my son he'll ask me when I'm around people go, you know, Dad, do you think they know Jesus? And he'll say it a little loud, you know, and I've had people look at me like I'll say, I don't know, son, they sure don't live like it. No, I never said that. <laughs> no, I never said that. <laughs> My little son, Jeremy, yesterday was telling me, you know, Dad, he says, I, I think Brad, he's our neighbor, I think Brad's going to be the last guy that gets saved, he says, before the Lord comes back. He says, because Conan, and because he, he has those girls over there all the time, he says, but I think he's going to come to the Lord and boy, the Lord could really change his life. I just, you know, he thinks like that. You know, our little daughter walks said the other day, I'm in the shower, she opens the door to the bathroom, hey, Dad, when can we get baptized? Jeremy and I have been talking about getting baptized. <laughs> in the show, well, hon, when I get out, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and so later on, I walked out. I said, Well, now, Celeste, why have you been thinking about baptism? I mean, why do why you baptize? He said, Well, I just, I don't know. I just, you know, people get baptized to show that they know the Lord, that, you know, they're going to do what He wants in their life. And I thought, Well, that's a pretty good understanding. And we just so I told him we'd talk about it, I promise. So we're going to have to talk about that. But Anyway, getting back here to this verse. Um, God has made us ambassadors for Christ. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what an ambassador, what it means to have an ambassadorship, and how seriously do we really take that. Uh, and I'd like to compare that to a, an ambassadorship if we were given this for real. Uh, for example, let's just say that you get a call, you get a letter in the mail, and uh, and it's from the government, the United States government, and they're asking you personally to represent our country in, in uh, Britain, in Great Britain. And they'd like you to go live there, and they're going to pay your way. And and uh, they think you're the mo- uh, just an outstanding citizen, and and your diplomacy is just spoken of highly all over the world. And <laughs> you know they'd like you to be their diplomat, their ambassador. I was at a. <coughs> my wife and I stopped at this estate sale. I, I never been to an estate sale and we stopped at this estate estate sale um, one day after we were at this rummage sale. So we pulled off over in, over in Edina and we pulled off and go back in this kind of this woods and this beautiful lake and there's this, all these people walking into this most beautiful house that I've ever... Well, it was my, to my liking. It was this very slanted, you know, roof down on all sides and then it was the rough cut stone in the front and... And oh man, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It's the most beautiful house I've ever been in. I walked in that house. You could have got lost. I think there was seven bedrooms alone. And and I just I'm walking around thinking to myself, Wow, I could really be an ambassador here. And I could have my, my hotline over here to President Reagan in this office and, and then over in this office I could have my direct line to, to the United Nations and they'd be calling me for advice. You know, I was dreaming. And, uh, I mean, it's just, you you know, and it's so restful. The place just, I thought, you know, I could really just, really grow here in this place. (laughs) You know, it's just that that atmosphere, you know, the plush carpeting about like that, and and just all the the antique furniture that went with it, and the veranda that was out on the side, the backyard was all this permanent gym equipment for kids, and right behind the backyard fence is a beautiful golf course, you know. And... So as I'm walking out, this little old lady's walking out, and I said, by the way, ma'am, I said, what do you think this house would go for? $300,000, 400000 She said, yeah, I think you'd get it for about 400000 She said, you know, you ought to look into it. She said, every kid that's come out of that's been a good kid. She said, it's a great place to raise a family. <laughs> I thought to myself, yeah, great place. Her dad would be in jail and death the rest of his life. Great place to raise a family. But uh, I got to admit, you know... This is. I'm going to be talking about this, frankly, tomorrow on the area of desire. But this is the first time I've left anywhere and gone home and felt like I was going home to a ghetto. I really did. I walked into the living room. Oh, Kathy! I don't know if I can stand to live here. I said, "This is too much." I mean, I mean, that's the kind of place this place was. You know, it, it, we walked into the little girl's room, and they had these two matching white oak canopy beds. You know. And all the furniture, and they only wanted 350 for the whole lot. I would have bought them, but I didn't have 350 bucks, and I didn't have one bedroom that would hold that furniture. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable, you know. And uh, but anyway, you know, you, an ambassador uh, when he goes to another country, you use you, you use live in the embassy, or or you work in the embassy, and you you live in a place that is uh, you know representative of the United States. You know, um, And there's a feeling that goes along with that, a feeling of real importance. you know, a feeling of, of real, uh, really mattering, what you're doing is really important. You take it seriously. you realize that you, you understand that the United States reputation uh, is on the line with you. Now, of course, the news does that a great disservice, but, but you uh, if you get caught messing around, if you get caught cheating on your wife, uh, if if you get involved in any of that kind of stuff, it's really going to be a slam in the face of this country. Um, it, you know, if you hang around and walk around up and down the streets, show up to work every day in your Bermuda shorts, and you're uh, sawed-off jeans with frays all over, and you're a uh, you know canvas canvas Converse tennis shoes with a hole in them, I mean, it, it's just not really going to be real representative of the United States. Well. You and I are the only representatives that God has in this planet. This planet. Not just this country, but the planet. We're His representatives. And He is never again going to come down and represent Himself for the salvation of men until He rules. And then we'll rule with Him. And we'll all be equal. I mean, when they think of God, they'll think of us. Because we'll be His messengers. We'll be doing everything. We'll be reigning with Him. But right now, you're the only ones He's got. And I just wrote down a few questions here, first of all. How seriously do we take this ambassadorship? We are God's ambassadors. We are to represent His agenda and His purposes. You know, it's kind of like the government. I mean, it really galls me when President Reagan has handpicked some men and they stab him in the back. I get sick of that. really galls me. The clowns, I get them. David, you know what David did? He cut off every evildoer from the land and he would have nobody with him who wasn't extremely loyal. That's why David, one of the reasons David's kingdom was usually secure, it wasn't always because there's all the principles he violated. But he, he kept men with him that were loyal and their allegiance and the allegiance was to God, and because their allegiance was to God, it was to David. They understood what God wanted to do in those times. And we got guys who get on TV and, and to save their own neck, they'll knock President Reagan. You know? And it just really galls me. Well, they're supposed to represent his agenda and his purposes. He's leading the party, he's leading the plan. And they're supposed to follow along. And it really, really is a a sad thing to see all these guys just turn around and knock him in the back because they think their political career is at stake. They'd be much farther ahead if they were together, be as one voice. There would be a much greater impact on this country. (coughs) And uh, frankly, there would be a much greater impact on our society for Christ if we were more representative of His agenda and His purposes. If the President asked you to be our ambassador in England, would you take that more seriously than you take God's ambassadorship seriously? You and I are the sole representative God has here on earth. He has given us that great privilege and honor. Let's take it seriously. Now, an ambassador, you've got to understand, is uh, he looks the part. And we're going to talk about this. I, I want to I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <coughs> You know, oftentimes, first of all, the gospel always um, is an offense. The Bible says that Christ is a stumbling block. Okay, that the cross is an offense. It's foolishness to people, all right? So whenever you talk about the gospel, we're going to give offense. But I'd like you to know that that ought to be about the only reason we ever give people offense. is because of the gospel. Um. And we ought to do whatever we can within our power. The Bible says as much as it remains up to us to be at peace with all men. That's our responsibility. And there's many offenses today against God that should never even be there because of the slothfulness of His people. Not because of the offense of the gospel, but because of the offense of His saints. And praise God, you know, He's loving, He's patient, He's kind. But I, for one, would like to speak out about that and, and hopefully have us all grow together and see that change and develop. So let's look at 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, I want to start with verse... Um, I think it's 19. Yeah, 19. Although I am free from everyone, I have enslaved myself to all of them in order to win a large number. To the Jews, I behave as a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law is one who is under the law, although I am not under the law, to gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I am as without law, although not lawless towards God, but committed to Christ's law, in order to win those who are without law. To the weak, I have become weak to win the weak. I have become everything to everybody, so that by all means I may save some. But I do it all to advance the good news, so that I may have a share in it with you. Do you not know that those who race in the stadium all run? To be sure, but one receives the prize. So run your race that you may win it. And everyone who enters the contest practices self-control in every detail. He indeed does it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. Accordingly, I run straight ahead, not aimlessly. I thus box, not punching the air. But I discipline my body and I make it serve me. So that while I'm preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. This is a very, very interesting passage. And it's to me it's very interesting that it would be found in the book of Corinthians, and not Thessalonians, not Colossians, not Philippians, but Thessalonians. Um, what's Paul talking about here? I want to talk about that. Paul is saying first in verse 19, I'm free from everyone. I'm free. When you came to know Christ, you're free. Galatians says, only do not let your liberty be an opportunity for the flesh, but rather serve one another in love. That's true freedom. Did you know that? That's true freedom. The ability to serve others. That's real freedom. The ability to be selfless, to be other seeking, is real freedom. That's real freedom. Well, (coughs) Paul... Also, I want you to recognize is that this is a choice that Paul made. It wasn't just a natural thing that Paul did. He said, although I am free from him, I have enslaved myself to all of them. Now, the interesting thing here, though, is how he enslaved himself to them. This is very interesting. Many of us have our own idea of how we'd like to live. And I'd like to tell you my idea of how I'd like to live. If I had my way, it wouldn't be in this city. And it wouldn't be in these clothes. It would be probably in Australia, in northern Canada, or some of the most isolated places I could find in Montana and Colorado. And I would save some money, I'd go buy myself a chainsaw, I'd build myself a cabin, and I'd never leave. Because I am sick, and have always been sick, of the society that I live in. And I would just love, not worrying about anything or anybody, having my wife up there and my kids and we'd be nature's children. You know? And uh, we just live there all the time. And I'd write my songs and I'd grow in my skill and my guitar and I would just have my own little world. That's my idea of living. Or getting away from it all. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't like things about the city, but I mean, if I was just going to live life the way I wanted, that's what I'd do. But because God saved me, and because God had a hold of my life, and now He's got different purposes, I've changed the course of my life. Frankly, not because that's just what I wanted to do, but because that's what God wanted me to do. And I knew it would count. I knew I could live now. See, I'm making some real sacrifices for my future with Him. There's things I'd much rather do now, but I, I'm, I'm just—they're—they're—they're they're, they're given to Him. And I'm going to do what He wants me now to do and know that it will count in heaven. And God will reward every single desire you ever gave up in heaven. And I know that. I know that I'll have my own lake then that I can drink from, swim from, do whatever I want in. I know that. I know that I have my own mansion. It makes any mansion here look like the ghetto. So, I'm living for that world. Okay? Secondly, I want you to understand that by uh, I like long hair. I love long I mean I used to have long hair, I ought to bring pictures sometimes. you wouldn't even recognize me. It was a lot like Kathy Max's. And I used to love to curl it and mess with it and, you know, wear my beads and, and I and I have this leather fringe jacket. And I used to wear that leather fringe jacket all the time. In fact Kurt chuckles. Kurt and I we used to be in band together for so many years. And I used to wear that leather fringe jacket. When I first got in into fellowship down there I wore army pants, white socks, boots, white T shirts, and my leather fringe jacket all the time that was cool I was my own man I was making a statement a non-materialistic statement to the world it was me and I liked it I liked never shaving you know I I shaved after a while because of my wife <clears throat> you know my future wife and uh, I bought all my clothes at the goodwill it was very non materialistic you know and I believe that that's what a true disciple would do so here I am. I, I look like the Fonz, kinda every every morning I'd I wouldn't blow dry my hair. I just I just do my hair wet and then I'd comb it, back comb it because that would flip it out, you know, and curl it and then throw it back and I'd walk around, you know, to my hair dried all the time. It's just like that, you know, that was really cool. And um, <clears throat> it's probably maybe one of the contributing factors to why Kathy's parents thought she was marrying a bum. <coughs> but I didn't quite look like that, but my belt buckle was a nickel and uh, my painter pants I had on when I went down there were a little... Well, they weren't... Well, never mind. (laughs) Anyway, and if I would have taken my father's advice, my father told me I could drive his Lincoln Continental down and I wanted to drive my 64 Ford Falcon with a cracked windshield, one white door and one blue door. (laughs) And um, so... You know, even though I, I really did want to do what God wanted me to, had I taken a little bit of advice and and maybe had a little more wisdom, um, maybe I would not have countered uh, what I did. But anyway, that's bridge. You know, that's over the water. What I'm saying is, I just simply wasn't real winsome, and uh, it was nobody's fault but my own. And uh, my mindset, you see, was not yet this mindset. This was not yet my mentality. My mentality was fine. I'm gonna live for God, but. Look, i this is the way I'm comfortable, this is the way this is me. And and I'm gonna this is me. So um, you know, I'm not I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, and then, and then I'll try and win people to the Lord, too. Then I then I came across this passage and I began to really focus on what Paul is talking about here. He says to the Jew and he says that when he's a Jew, he behaves like a Jew. Then you've got a man who is raised all his life as a Hebrew of the Hebrew he had the finest teacher of the day his name was Gamaliel he was a pharisee of the pharisee pharisees were so legalistic they stunk i mean i was so it would just make you it was just wretched man It'd just make you sick you know they'd probably scrub that seat off five times and pray over it and anoint it with oil before they sat on it you know i mean they had the most crazy kind of things they'd do that was paul now can you imagine a guy like that getting saved and going to win in Gentiles. Filthy, vile, unclean, pagan, wretched Gentiles. That was Paul. And what does Paul say here? He says, to those who are without the law, I am without law. Although, what law? He's talking about the Jewish law. Not the law of Christ. The law of Christ is a love. That's the law of Christ. It's always what the law of Christ means when it's talked about in the New Testament. He says, not lawless towards God, but committed to Christ's law in order to win those without the law in 22 uh, he says I have become everything to everybody so that by all means I may save some ok I always think of the chameleon you know what a chameleon is anyone know what a chameleon is it's this little lizard well lizard like thing and a lot of people have them, but whatever a chameleon is you never know it wherever he is because he always blends in with wherever he's at I mean if he sits on the chair he turns brown and I think he's a great example of this principle. When he, if he was on my sh- my shirt, he'd turn blue. I don't know how he did it. God just created it that way. If they get in a tree on a leaf, they turn green. They're very, very hard to find. That's their defense. I think that's part of what it means to be harmless as a dove and shrewd as a serpent. I hope people don't know you're coming all the time. Hope we can sneak up on them. You know, what I mean is sometimes... We look so stereotyped like what everyone thinks out now. That's why I don't want to be a Christian. Right there. That. And, uh, wow. We've given an offense to the gospel. What's Paul's mentality here? You know, uh, let's go on here. He says, it's interesting, this whole passage actually, if you go over to chapter 10, he talks about whether you eat or drink, you do it for the glory of God. He says in verse 32, Oh, this is what I was looking for. Hallelujah. Chapter 10, verse 32. Behave in such a way that you you cause neither the Jews nor the Greeks nor the church of God to stumble, just as I myself please everyone in every way, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many in order that they may be saved. Do you know what this means? Some of us have a mentality, I just live to please God. Did you know that's only half right? Did you know that you ought to be just as zealous to live to please others? Paul was. In fact, he said their salvation depended on it. I'm living in such a way, he said, in order to win them. In order to give no offense to a Greek or to a Jew. Or to the church of God. I'm trying... Do you know what that means? It means that fine line. You know, that no one likes to walk. But they see, that's real freedom. You see, we've got a purpose to live for. We've got a purpose in everything we do and everything we say. <coughs> now, when I was in high school, when I was in junior high, I was more involved in sports than when I got in high school because when I was in high school, my forte was more vocal than it was athletic. It could have been more athletic if I'd been in a smaller town, but because of the high, because of the high school I was in, uh, you know, I could run the 50 in six flat, but there were guys who could run it in five two, just a couple. And so they were always the halfbacks and I didn't like sitting on the bench. If I didn't get a play, if I wasn't going to get involved and I didn't want to be involved. So I had to to pick other things and then they were a little bigger and a little more muscular and, you know, so they had those other things. But if I would have been an athlete, um, really sold on it, in order to make the junior high team, you know, it takes a little bit of ability and, a little bit of practice. If you're going to make the varsity team when you're a freshman, that takes some real dedication and devotion. Okay? Some of you that were in high school know that. <coughs> but you can still get away with getting drunk every Friday night, just like all the other guys in the team used to do. Every Friday night, our football team, well, it wasn't my football team, I mean the football team in my school, would go out and get drunk. The cheerleaders' football team drunk every Friday night. And some of these guys are the most incredible athletes I ever saw, but they get plastered. And they get away with it. But I'll tell you a little secret. If you want to get a scholarship to college in athletics, you don't get away with it. It takes a lot more dedication to play on the college level and to get to the college level. But, believe it or not, there's guys who get away with it in the college level. There's a lot of guys in our football team at Iowa State. When I was there, they partied all the time. It's all they lived for. Party, party, party. In fact, one of the Best running backs we have ever had named Dwayne Crutchfield. The reason uh, that the (coughs) New York Jets cut him was because he was totally undisciplined and every one of the guys used to be in my neighbor and it ruined his life. His undisciplined life. He could have been one of the best halfbacks they had but he wouldn't work hard enough. (coughs) But if you want to make it to the Olympics if you want to make it to the Olympics we're talking about a whole other level of dedication We're talking about watching what you eat, making sure that you don't miss your running in the morning, even though you hate it and you don't feel like it. We're talking about those guys. Look, who goes to the Olympics wanting a bronze medal? Who goes to the Olympics wanting a silver medal? They want, they want the gold medal. They want the gold medal. They want to be the best. They want to be the fastest. They want to go the farthest. See, they want to lift the most. They want to win the most bouts. They want to win that they want to win. What I'm getting at today is this. Not many of us in this room have ever been Olympic athletes. And so it's difficult to understand what the Olympic mentality would be. But I want you to understand that we're going to have to grasp that Olympic mentality if you're going to grasp these principles in this chapter right here. You must have as your mentality a mentality to be the best, to win the most. If you're going to have a mentality that matches this man, Paul. Or, or, or you're wrong. That's all there's to it. It's very cut and dry. Paul said, I run in such a way as to win. He said, understand this. Everybody runs in the race. But only one guy wins. So run your race to win. Most Christians run the race to run. God says, run the race to to win it. Run the waste to win it. You know why? Because the way you run the waste. Now, I can't explain this and I I, I don't want to get theological, okay? I'm neither Calvinist nor, my, nor am I Arminian. But somehow, this depends on the salvation of other men. Now, I'm not, I can explain that. I believe in predestination. I'm not going to sit here and argue with that. But I cannot also argue with this. We affect, we are God's representatives And we must take that seriously. We must take it as seriously as if Olympics was the whole mindset and goal of our life. You remember when I shared on Sunday morning about uh, hit me with your best shot and how there's athletes that will go out there and like Mary Lou Retton. And she got Bella, whose school is in Houston, and she, she totally moved where she was living. She moved way down there and took everything he had to offer. Man, she took it right and left. Whatever he said she was doing wrong, she changed. Whatever he said she was doing right, she improved on. And she was the best in her class. I mean, I've never seen anybody like little Mary Lou Retton. I've never seen anybody jump so high so far in my life. Do you know something? Do you know that great athletes, I want to explain something about athletics. Athletics, uh, Spud Webb is a good example. Um, He's a little guy, he's about this tall. comes probably about here on me. And he can stuff the ball, he plays for an NBA team. Uh, the, I forget the name of the team. But anyway, <coughs> athletics is a very interesting thing, the Olympics. You see, Olympics separates the men from the boys, and here's how, and the, and the women from the girls. Most athletes have an equal ability. When you get up to the high school and to the college level, you've got equal ability. Steve Alford is a good example. Steve Alford plays for the Indiana Hoosiers. He'll be drafted. He's going to make somebody's team. He's going to be another Larry Bird. Okay? And do you know what made Steve Alford? He's not an exceptional guy. What made Steve Alford is that he shot baskets every day of his life for three hours and he refused to leave the court until he could shoot the ball through and loop the net. Loop the net means you throw it with such such an arch and such so much backspin that it takes the net and it flips it up and hangs it on top of the rim. The most recent article I read about him, he never... Quit. And when it, and when the guys would come around and his girlfriend would come around, she didn't have his time until he was done hanging the net. If he didn't hang the net, he didn't quit shooting. Great athletes aren't great people. They're just people who have worked harder than anybody else in their field. That's all. Now, obviously, some people have no ability, so that would be foolish. But people, most athletes are people with an irregular or a pretty neat talent They have refined it and refined it and refined it. You take the Michael Jordans, the Isaiah Thomases. Sure, they're black and sure they can jump and they're great basketball players, but they spent hours and hours doing what no other kid wanted to do. All the other kids were down with a ghetto blaster. All the other kids were down getting in trouble. They were out shooting hoops. See? That's the only thing that makes them different from anyone else. And now, that's what makes the Apostle Paul different than almost any other Christian man and woman that's been on the face of the earth since Paul's time. Paul is not a super Christian. Paul did not have more spirit than you had. Paul just had an exceptional desire to be the most. you know what Paul says about himself? I, I've thought about this. It really challenged me. He says, Although I am the least of all the apostles, yet I have worked harder than all of them. That's very interesting. And you know what? I believe he's true. I believe he worked harder than Peter. I believe he worked harder than John. I believe he worked harder than any other apostle we know of in the New Testament. And he's the only man where you can read about the hardships he went through. Most of the time, Peter, although in later years was gone, he was in Jerusalem. Paul was all over the place, all the time risking his life. He worked harder. That was his mentality. And that's why Paul, and only Paul in the New Testament, writes with this kind of a spirit. In this particular chapter, he says, I run to win the race. I buffet my body. I beat my body. I do whatever it takes. Now, I want to get real practical in these things here today. What does it mean to run to win? What does it mean to box your body, to buffet your body, to not run aimlessly? Paul makes it clear here in this passage that he's a free man, but in order to win others, he's made himself their slave. That is, he was always trying to be like those he was trying to reach. Is this our mindset? Would we change our hair for the gospel? Would we change our clothes for the gospel? Would we change our homes for the gospel? Questions in the back. Would the average American feel comfortable in our homes? Or are they more like walking into some religious museum? We are trying to reach a contemporary world. Do we look the part? Are our homes a reflection of the God of order or or of chaotic mess? Do we hold on to petty convictions that really don't matter but we won't change because that's the way we want to live life? You know, listen. I think whole wheat bread, pure water, and everything else under the sun is great. Is great. I mean that. I really mean that. Honestly. But the world doesn't live like that. You see? You see? So if you want to do that, that's great. But you make sure that when they come over and you invite them over, you've got a Pepsi to offer them or you got a Kool-Aid to offer them or you've got lemonade to offer them even though you can't stand it. Because we're not trying to win men and women to a set of codes. We're trying to win them to Christ. You see? And they probably, most likely, don't hold to those same convictions. We need to learn not to strain at gnats and swallow camels or swallow... Strain it now. We strain it now to swallow camels. That's right. Yeah, I got it got all right. Uh, praise God. You know, you understand what I'm saying? This is very, very, very important. The world is at stake here. You know, I mean that. But when we moved up here, you know, I, I really wanted to be careful with how we lived. But at the same time, Kathy and I were praying, God, please give us a place that would be winsome that we could use that people would come over. At the same time, God, I don't want to spend this kind of money to get that kind of place. So we were really praying fervently and hard that God would do that. God did that. Now it's not perfect. I can only go within the realm of my pocketbook. you know. So I, we try. I, I try to range the furniture. I mean, I know it's not as contemporary as it could be, and someday it will be more contemporary. But we try to keep it in such a manner that it's always ready to use for Christ. It is winsome that when people come, they feel comfortable. It used to be I'd hang all over my wall would be these verses and there would be a picture of Jesus over here and five Bibles over here and every Christian book I had right here. Don't do that. Because that's what people are going to feel like they're walking into some religious museum. You know? Oh, see, you believe in God, huh? Oh, I don't want to know you. See? Come in the back door. What does the devil do? Is the devil ever up front with anything he ever does? No, he's a filthy liar. The only reason he hooks people is because he deceives them. Now, I'm not telling you to deceive them. I'm just telling you to be as harmless as a dove and as shrewd as a serpent. You don't want to go around with this sign on you. I'm a Christian. You know, I love Jesus. Live it! Let your life be the neon sign. See? Now, I know some people, when you think about this, I'm going to be as frank with you as I can Please, if, don't take this personal. I want you to send this. I'm going to try to use myself as much as an example as I can. Okay? Because I've been down this road. Um, there was a long time that uh, um, I used to have my wife cut my hair. And, uh, well, for, for a while anyway. Because it was cheap. And uh, I, I didn't think it mattered that much. And then then we moved next to this neighbor, her and her husband. Well, they weren't married then. and then they got married. She went to cosmetology school. And... and um, then she started cutting my hair, and I kind of liked it a little better then. You know, she went somewhere to practice on. Well, then they got married, and we were working with them, really wanted to win them to Christ. And I mean this, really, really did want to win them to Christ. And, but they were having tremendous problems. She, you know, grew up in Chicago, Arlington Heights, and he's from Hicksville, Iowa. And how they ever got together, I don't know. But God put them together, and they got saved, and God was going to change their life, but they had some tremendous problems. You know, she was raised, you just spend money like there was no tomorrow. And he was raised that, you know, you didn't even spend money. You know, and he chewed tobacco and she hated it. And, uh, you know, she was Miss Fashion Queen and he was, you know, the t-shirt out all the time and his pants were down to here, you know. And, and it, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm serious. So, I knew that there was, they were going to have some marital struggles. And um, the first one was she wanted to start doing his hair, permanent his hair. No way, you're not perming my hair, you know. And that was causing some friction. So, one day he says to Mary, well, if Mark will do his, then I'll do mine. Oh great. I thought, oh man. One thing I thought to myself I'm never going to do is get a perm. I just oh perm, you know. I mean I'll let a girl cut my hair, frankly. I like women because they're more they care more, usually. They're more aware of those kind of things, but perm, oh man. Curvers in my hair. I <laughs> oh what if someone sees me? It'd be terrible. You know. But then I thought, well God, you know, these verses are exactly what came to my mind. I thought, Lord, I really do want to help Jim and Mary. I want to make an impact in their life, so I'll go do it. So here I am, and no less, we had to do it outside, out in our little pen. So we're sitting out there, and she liked the sun, so she'd get a tan while she was doing your hair, you know. So she's out there doing my hair, and up in these curves and Jim comes out and knew that his turn was next. Actually, she did it both at the same time. He was in one chair, and I was on the other. He hated his, you know. I mean, oh, man, he hated that stuff. And I like mine, because I didn't have to mess with it. It saved me so much time messing with my hair. You know, and I'd wash it about once every three days now and, and, uh, and I can just puff it up a little moose and I'm done. You know, it used to be blow, dry it, and, and stand, my arms would get tired. and that was just for the birds. So, oh, I didn't mean that like it sounded. So, I really didn't mean that like it sounded. Oh, So, anyway, um, the other thing was I couldn't justify the money. Well, what was nice was for the first two years I did it, I never had to pay. She just did it for free ooh, then it really hurt first time I had to go get it really done, you know. And, uh, well, anyway, the point is, is um, I did that for the sake of the gospel, and from this time on I've continued to do that because I feel that it allows me to be more winsome in the sense that it makes me fit in more with the world I live in today. You know, <clears throat> lots of us, we like to read these Christian biographies, these old Christian biographies, and one I like real well is Hudson Taylor. I'm going to let you know something about Hudson Taylor. that Most people read and they go, gee, that's really neat, but they don't want to apply it in their own life. Hudson Taylor moved to China. He was a white man, probably the only, one of the first white men in China. And he was obviously taller. And all the missionaries who were over there dressed like Westerners, okay? Europeans, with their white on, and they lived behind fence, you know, fence missions. And Hudson Taylor got this idea. I think he got it from this passage, in fact that this was never going to win the Chinese. In fact, the missionaries were having such a poor success rate over there that many of them were leaving because it was so hard. And, and Hudson Taylor was wondering, why? What's going on? God, show me something. I believe you want to reach these people. So, lo and behold, Hudson Taylor moves out of the mission compound and moves into a dump. Of course, most people there lived in a dump. So he wasn't it wasn't abnormal. And uh, then he went down to the local barber and he had all his hair cut off. Except right here. And he, and he put a pigtail in his hair. Kind of like people you see today sometimes, you know. Pigtail right here. And then he went and got the most popular caste system. Or class of people over there were the, 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 the people, the rickshaw people, the, the low class. Okay, they were the most populous. They were the most. So he started dressing like them. And every mission society over there would have nothing to do with him. They refused to let him in their doors. They refused to talk to him in his own mission board. Refused to support him any longer. No one had anything to do with him. And lo and behold, Hudson Taylor began to reach Chinese after Chinese, Chinese after Chinese, one after another, until he shook, really shook, uh, mainland China. And much of what's happened today, even with the church, has been all the result of Hudson Taylor. All the result of one man willing to be like the world he lived in. You see, it wasn't that Hudson Taylor took the message to him. It was that the message emanated from his life. And he became like him. Now, you and I, I'm gonna make this statement, and I hope you understand what I mean, must be like the world, but never of the world. We must be like the world we live in today, not of the world. And we need to really take these things seriously if we're going to be winsome for Christ. We need to ask ourselves, is my hair contemporary? I mean that. You need to ask it. If you don't if you don't can't discern it yourself, get some counsel, and I've got some projects here you'll see that we're gonna talk about. Am I dressing in a way that's contemporary? I don't mean following every trend. You know, I, you walk into Dayton's and it blows my mind. I've never seen anything like the clothing shops up here. I looked at a suit the other day, it cost $750. You know, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean you have a polo pony on every shirt. You know, it doesn't mean you buy Ralph Lauren $80 shorts. That's how much they cost, just for a pair of khaki shorts. But it means that, you know, Target has a lot of those things too. They just don't cost 80 bucks. But what it means is that we appear that we fit in. We're not hickish. Like, for example, I was out one time. We were down at Normandale. When we first came down to Normandale, when I first went there, we were doing some surveys. And in the future, I'll think of this, but I didn't think of this. I didn't even cross my mind. We had a survey table. And here behind this survey table, we put the most hick-looking Iowa farm boy I ever saw in my life. Two of them. Now, There's nothing wrong with farming. And there's nothing wrong with work boots. And there's nothing worse wrong with Osh-Gosh-By-Gosh pants. But the point was, we put the wrong man in the wrong place at the right time. We needed someone. I mean, I've never, you've never been any place like Normandale. It is the most hotsy-totsy place, school I've ever been. Everyone's on the prowl. And everyone is dressed in the most mod, fashionable kind of clothes you can imagine. I mean, they're not always expensive. Sometimes they're kind of sloppy, but they're contemporary. You know, I was in a store the other day, and uh, for $80, you can buy a pair of jeans that already has a rip right here. (laughs) And a rip right here. And they can't keep enough of them in stock. My brother, he likes those kind of shops. Uh, I'm serious. It's really wild. You know, what we used to go to the Salvation Army and get for a quarter, now you (laughs) can pay 80 bucks for new, New. Never been worn. Anyway, I'm not going to be that contemporary. I'm not into the holy pants anymore. But what I'm saying is we need to really think through uh, do we fit mainstream America. You see, we're not trying, we don't want to go to extremes. We're not trying to reach necessarily the the land of the punks. So I'm not going to get a Mohawk. Okay. And I'm not trying to reach uh, uh, necessarily the low, 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 low class monetarily. Okay. Now I'm not saying any of those two sectors need to be reached. What I'm concerned about is the majority. The majority. See, if we reach the majority. Everything will filter through. Everything will take care of itself. But I have the greatest opportunity with the majority of Americans. Now I do not mean to say that we necessarily adopt their standard of living that in order to win them, I need to have two cars in my garage. I'll probably, just because of my own, I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever drive a new car. Maybe I will. I just try to keep the one I have looking sharp. You know? You ever notice how comfortable you feel in a clean car? You know, I mean, my car, i got to be honest, it used to have at least three or four pop cans in the back all the time, on the floor, and Kleenex is wadded up all over, you know, and dropped... And, you know, really, seriously, I was afraid that you know, I wasn't afraid, but I asked someone in, they sit, put their arm up, and you could just get dust filled. Every week, I clean my car. Every week. I take it, I wash it, I dry it off, I vacuum it out, and I put vinyl stuff on it. So if I offer someone a ride, oh, sure, I'll sit down. And My car's got 105,000 miles on it. You know why I do that? I don't do it just because well, i got to have a clean car. Because I want to make an impression on people for Christ. Christ's name has been drugged through the mud so much with slothful Christianity. And I don't want that to happen because of me. So I want to make an impression on him. I want it to be ready for every good work. For every good use. If I have to take a family to church, if I have to take them to a ride, I want it to be ready. It's clean. It's becomely. It's ready to use. We need to think about that, okay? I, uh, When I was praying about getting another car, I was praying, God, I don't want another rust bucket. I've been driving rust buckets all my life. But Lord, I don't have the money not to buy a rust bucket. So, I need you to do a miracle. And God got me this car, and, and fortunately, the guy who sold it to me, I don't think he realized the beauty that was beneath that unbuffed paint. And so, once we buffed it out, it looked brand new. And then you just wax it, and it'll keep that rebuffed shine, you see, get rid of the oxidized paint. Well, I wanted something that looked sharp, but at the same time, it didn't cost me an arm and a leg because I just couldn't afford that. So, in other words, you don't have to drive that. Cadillac or Mercedes to win those. Well, again, we're trying to win the mainstream America, the average Joe who looks like everyone else. That's what we want to do. We want to fit in. We want to fit in into society so that no one will look at us and, you know, I've had this happen. Uh, And I want you to know, brother and sister, I'm speaking this in love, but this is very important. You know, they didn't put, uh, who can I think of? Well, you know, all I can use is advertisements. You know, why did they use Lionel Richie instead of me to do the Pepsi commercial? You know? I mean, or Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson dances a lot better. I mean, he gives a lot better impression for the new generation. You know? Um, They know that, you see, before you can ever sell your product, you have to sell yourself. And you'll learn that in sales. And please don't ever think that's different with the gospel. Please don't ever. People can stumble all over you right and left before you ever get to the gospel. And I've walked up to people and I've, I've known people that, that they've told me, they've told me, you know, Mark, I know so and so and if it hadn't been for you sharing with me, I would have never listened to it from them. Never. I mean, I wouldn't even want to be seen with them. And you know, you think back of that before you were saved, before we all got so spiritual. There were people we wouldn't have been caught dead with. We just wouldn't have been seen in public with them. Understand this, we're dealing with an unspiritually minded world. And they think the same way. And sometimes they may be thinking that about you. Now, there's certain things we can't change. I can change the color of my eyes. I can't change the bend in my nose. You know? I mean, I'm just this is just me. My voice is the way it is. But there's other things I can change to make presentable so that I give the gospel clout. You see? So, let's go through some of these questions here. I've gone through a few of them. I... I'm going to talk to you about your home in just a little bit and then we're almost done. But we're going to be continuing on this in wives' and husbands' Breakfast. We're going to talk about excellence in these areas. Uh, the wives are going to be talking about this. Many wives have, from my wife's questionnaire, and Mary's have uh, wanted, how do you keep an orderly home? And how do you do this and how do you do that? Well, first of all, you've got to always be motivated to do anything. Did you know that? Without motivation, don't! <laughs> Eat, drink, and be merry! Let's all just live any way we want. Without motivation, there's no reason to do any of the things I'm telling you today. See? The motivation is this. God, because we love Him, because He loved us, and because there's a world out there that needs to be reached. They need your message, and they need you to bring it to them. So, God wants our homes to be neat and orderly. Some of us were raised with a different standard, okay? Some of us are very, very comfortable with dust balls all over the place. All right? know, I was thinking about this the other day when Brent mentioned this to me to make sure I mentioned this. I thought this really is a good point. My wife, whenever you were done at her home using the shower, you wipe the stall out with a towel. Every time. Now, you know, I used to think, oh, that's really dumb. Then I thought, wait a minute, it's not so dumb. Because if you don't, you know what happens? You have to have a guy like Greg Merchant come over with those huge arms and muscle the grunge off the shower. And it's a drag. So wouldn't it be much easier to take three seconds and take a towel and go and throw it in a washer? Then once every month they have to get down there on your hands and knees and you know with a brush and comet? And then they have to stand in it. You know, you're going to someone's shower, you invite them over, and they stand in their shower and it's like, oh, all hey, I'm done, you know, and they jump out of the water. You don't want that to happen. You know? That is mean you have a beautiful stall, but at least keep it clean and make it as becoming as is possible same way is true with our carpeting i mean my wife we we buy our stuff once a month our our uh, toilet paper Kleenex, toothpaste shaving cream and all the cleaning items we just buy in one big shot for the month that way we don't have to run out you know try to remember or something and every week carpet cleaner mark pick up some carpet cleaner i usually go get that cuz some of it's heavy and you know and, and so i get this carpet cleaner and every every month there's spots no spots the problem is though the rest of the carpet <laughs> the rest of the carpet is nice and filthy and there's these bad spots that are now real <laughs> nice and white so but bless her heart you know she's always trying to clean up those spots and, and that vacuum must be going once every other day at least you know so it's ready and you know i got to be honest with you I like living that way I didn't used to I was your classic slob I mean that socks in the. I come home you know and this is the way you take your shoes off you know, wherever they land, I take my clothes off the same way and wherever they land, they stayed. I used to sleep when I was single on a cot that was rotten. I bought from a Salvation Army and in a sleeping bag. And the sleeping bag never got washed. And I just slept in it all the time and threw my stuff in a cardboard box in the corner and took it all the laundry and threw everything in at one time because it saved money, you know, and it dumped the soap all. I never separated the whites from the greens. You know, all I had was white and green. So, you know... <laughs> I mean, I I never worried about